0: Uh, it's me, your guy, your homeboy, Gerardo Munoz, uh, 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year, and host and producer of the Chicano Logs. If you are listening to the Chicano Logs for the first time, thank you for subscribing. I'm trying to get some people subscribing to this podcast, and um, you know, I know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how hard it is to subscribe to a podcast. I subscribe to um, hundreds probably, and uh, you just got to click that thing. Uh, Because when I go into the data, nobody's, like, listening (laughs) to the show. This will continue to come out onto the 2Dope Teachers and uh, Mike uh, feed. We are a 2Dope production. It is a little side project that I created so that we can remix the conversation around race power and chicanismo. Um, I do identify as a Chicano from the east side. That's all I am. I'm your friendly neighborhood Chicano, and I'm just trying to learn about the world. A lot of this uh, work on this podcast is really about learning my own researcher positionalities, who am I? What do I bring to my research? Not just what research do I do, but what, kind, what do I bring into this research life? And, um, and it's something that that's a lot of curiosity for me. Um, shout out to all my rasa out here doing podcasting and creating digital media. Would love to connect with y'all. So if you are a person who identifies as rasa, um, I would love for us to connect a little bit. Um, if you are new to the Chicanologues and to 2Dope Productions in general, feel free to find us on social media, um, Instagram and Twitter at 2 Teachers, and uh, Facebook.com slash 2 and the mic. Uh, you can also email us with show ideas and feedback, 2 Teachers at gmail.com. And if you're interested in appearing on the Logs, hit me up. Uh, we have some really dope folks coming on the show in the coming weeks and months. Um, as I try to launch this thing, um, I won't be creating separate social medias for the Chicanologues because it's just, it's a lot of social media to um, to manage between uh, this many shows. Uh, there's a couple of other 2 Dope Productions you should check out. Obviously, the flagship show, 2 Dope Teachers in a Mic, where we remix the conversation on race, power, and education. And then there is the exit interview where Dr. Asia Lyons and, uh, my, and our guy, uh, the illustrious Kevin Adams, uh, shares with us a little bit of his uh, journey and what they do is they um, they share the stories of black teachers who were run out of the classroom, um, prevented from working in the classroom and their experiences with racial battle fatigue and, um, and what they're doing now. Um, it's wrenching. It's profound. It's it's uh, it's sad for our kids, frankly, and for our communities. Uh, we all need black teachers. Um, but what is so beautiful about the exit interview podcast and the community that Dr. Asia has created is that it, it makes me think a lot of um, of Dr. Legarrett King's uh, writings on black historical consciousness, where he talks about how. The most important part of having a black historical consciousness is to know that black people were here before there was a United States of America. Frankly, before there were any of these nations. They've been here for the duration of the life of the United States in America. And y'all, all nations fall. When the United States of America is no more, there will still be black people. So, uh, check it out. Um, theexitinterviewpodcast.com, I think, is what the website is. That's where Asia would prefer that you, um, subscribe, but you can also subscribe on, on, uh, on Spotify and other places. It's interesting. I'm talking, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's kind of come up in my life lately as, as I talk about the exit interview and, um, you know, and black historical consciousness and racial battle fatigue. Um, I want to be really mindful and respectful of Dr. William Smith's work, um, who, as he developed this um, this frame, framing of black experience in education around racial battle fatigue, it is you know anti-blackness is um, is is its own very specific. Uh, type of racism that tends to impact the other, racisms um, that are out there and the other isms that are out there. But you know, I don't. I don't want to take away from it at all. So uh, I hope this doesn't come out this way. But the more I share um, these ideas, whether it's through Dr. Asia's work or whether it's through Dr. Smith's work um, around racial battle fatigue, I, I there are non-black people of color who find a lot of the things relatable, um, you know, and, and in a nutshell, and, you know, maybe I'll link uh, the article to this, um, to this episode. Um, and uh, so you can kind of get into it if you're like a nerd like me. Um, but, you know, the thing, is, the thing about racial battle fatigue is that, You know, as you go in and you fight these racialized battles and you endure the harms that the institution commits against you as a black person, um, Dr. Smith argues that these impact every element of black life. So not just stress levels, not just, um, you know exhaustion from you know I I think of Fannie Lou Hamer's quote I'm tired of being tired not just that kind of thing but also it manifests in relationships and so there's a uh, racial battle fatigue transference that happens often um, where if one person is is experiencing racial battle fatigue they take it home and their loved ones and family experience it along with them I bring this up because—oh, and and, uh, the other piece I meant to say uh, that's really important is that, in addition, um, racial battle fatigue can manifest physically. It can manifest in physical illness. And Dr. Smith, in, in the, and in if you haven't heard these, go back and uh, listen to the, the two part episode that we did um, a while back on the exit interview where Dr. Smith talks about racial battle fatigue, what it looks like, what it came from, where it extends to. Um, he contextualizes the study in really amazing ways. Like there's, there's a wrong um, line of dialogue and discourse out there that Dr. Smith only uh, prioritized the, the, the experiences of black men, um, and he is very clear that he did multiple studies around this issue of racial battle fatigue, and, and he has studied the experiences of black women educators. Um, I know that that's been a criticism um, of some of his work, but I'm, I'm here to say that some of that work's been done. So as I think about this and I think about my position in Denver Public Schools as I'm hiring people, it's just so interesting how many conversations I've had with folks who are teachers, folks of color, Latinx teachers especially, uh, because that's who I find myself in community with the most in in these education streets, um, are struggling, man folks who are applying for positions in central office just as kind of a reset to heal a little bit to even see if they still want to be in education. And I know these are conversations being had across the system. I think categorically teachers um, regardless of race are being abused and harmed publicly and nobody's coming to save us. Um, But those of us who identify with As racialized minorities or as um, you know marginalized communities, Um, we we feel this more more profoundly and more acutely, I think, than maybe some of our uh, counterparts who are white and cis hetero, um, you know, folks. So I'm looking at this and I'm having these conversations. In the meantime. Um, my district, which uh, you know, I got, I got to shout out, uh, Dr. Marrero, who is an imperfect person, just like all of us, um, but who has really advocated hard to make our Raza more visible in what we do in schools, and that's everything from celebrating culture, affirming kids. There's a Raza report that'll be coming out. Um, that was inspired by the Bailey Report and uh, the amazing work of the late, great Dr. Sharon Bailey. Um, Because, you know, we're 53% of the district in terms of students and communities. And, you know, our achievement data and, you know, criticize achievement, achievement data as much as you want to. That's fine. I'm here for it. I know that there's other data, but we do know that our brown kids are not positioned to be free people Um, and it's not just the education system that does this. I want to make this really clear. There's a lot of y'all out there that want to put this all on education, and George Counts wrote a profound pamphlet about whether the school system dare um, advocate for social change. And he wasn't discouraging it, but essentially what he argues is that, you know, if we start taking on all these battles as a school system, people are going to think that we can win these battles. And... It is naive to think about education outside of the context of capitalism, of white supremacy, of housing insecurity, of food insecurity. These are not things that the school system can cure. So I want to put that out there that if, if you are lambasting my district or any other district Fine, make sure you're bringing that energy to the other systems that are doing harm to our communities and our kids. Make sure that you are also bringing that outrage into important spaces where actual decisions are made. All right, I'm going to get off that soapbox for a second. But one thing I I appreciate about Dr. Marrero, and full disclosure, I'm a a beneficiary of this particular decision of his, um, has been to elevate Rasa educators teachers into areas where we may be able to make a little bit more impact and where we can become familiar with institutional power and institutional culture and i think i was ready for it and i think a lot of us were ready for it and he he reached down into a bunch of schools and pulled a bunch of us up into these spaces and for that i'm grateful i got to go to alas In Puerto Rico, the Association for Latino Superintendents and Administrators, I said that wrong, but, um, you know, and being in this environment where the overwhelming majority of these brown people had doctor in front of their names, Meeting these superintendents, these principals, these school board members, both on the local and state level, was really amazing for me. It just kind of broadened my perspective. And so this is one of the things that I think has been really good Um, within our strategic plan. And just like a lot of other districts, there's this there's this push to diversify the teaching core. Um, and to remove barriers, and that's, and that's literally the work that I'm trying to do in my new role in DPS. Um, I, along with my incredible team, manage all of the pre-service and early service educator programming in Denver Public Schools, and so we're very positioned to remove barriers, and it's been a steep learning curve, um, but we're learning a lot of the things that we can actually do to remove these barriers, but I'm thinking about some stuff, man. I have a list in front of me of people who I know, and I won't be reading their names, who are my raza, my gente, working at all levels of school. Some are classroom teachers. Some are building leaders. Some have been in central office roles elsewhere. Um, I'm looking at this list, and I'm thinking about this question of representation. I'm thinking about the call which is the correct call nationally to work harder for to make our teaching core better reflect the students in front of us so in denver public schools um i always say we're like 70% uh students of color i don't know if that's right or wrong but i don't think it's too far off i could google it but i'm not gonna um y'all can let me know what you think this is a way to force engagement right <laughs> Um, you know and so it's the right goal but I'm starting to ask some questions around okay but what does it mean to reflect our community and I think the system still is about kind of checking the box right it's still about looking at the surname looking at the skin color in some cases looking at the language and saying this is what it means to reflect our kids. There are folks that we need in front of kids that we need in building leadership who are experiencing Something akin to racial battle fatigue, and I think about—I think about the ways that the system refuses to see us as whole. Still, I know a couple of Chicano teachers who um, who are unable to get jobs right now because they've been engaged politically. Because they confront white supremacy where it lives because they understand that white supremacy is not something that is only upheld by white people, not letting white people off the hook, but that we also, by virtue of being within a white supremacist system, need to check ourselves so that we are not upholding these systems um, and that we're conscious about ways that we need to decolonize ourselves. I'm guilty of it. I've done harm to other people of color, to other gente, to our community. I have. Sometimes they were harms of omission where I just didn't speak. I didn't advocate. I didn't stand up. And sometimes there were harms of commission where I let myself get pulled into something that I made personal. And these are things that I've, I've got to work on. These are all things that play to white supremacy. It's just division, right? And so... I think about these people who are leaving who I think... Or, or who are just being... I shouldn't say leaving. Wow, that was really insensitive. Um, I think about these people who are being forced out... And how they... Somehow, in this whole conversation about representation... And having Rasa teachers in front of Rasa kids... Decision makers, building leaders... Folks who can actually make something happen for our kids are looking at these people and they're like, oh, but not not you. Represent our communities, but not like that. Like I don't understand in in the case of of these educators I know who are unable to get jobs and are getting run out of this profession right now. I don't understand how a person can – how a leader can deny them space in front of kids who adore them while still saying we believe in increasing the diversity and bringing more Latinos, raza, Latine people into education. It just blows my mind. Like Having spent time in student activist communities, both in my role as a board member of Project Voice, uh, in my role as a board member of Words to Power, in my role coaching a student voice and leadership team here in DPS, One part of reflecting my students' values is reflecting the political and community convictions that they hold. And so if I am asking students to call out white supremacy and to protect those who are being harmed and oppressed and to advocate for them, shouldn't I be doing the same thing in my own life? How am I teaching social justice tolerance, liberation, all of that rhetoric of diversity and acceptance. But I'm supposed to stay quiet in a staff meeting where people are behaving in harmful and racist and homophobic and transphobic and oppressive ways? I'm supposed to just turn it off when I walk out of the classroom? And I don't know, my friend Donnie was saying that eventually – um, generative AI, um, the artists that you may know better as ChatGPT, will eventually replace teachers, and and I think there's a really valid argument for that. So maybe that maybe that's where we go, where we just have a an AI generated teacher who can who can connect with kids and build relationships and celebrate their communities and help kids and parents advocate for their communities and for their educational needs. But then just shut it off when you go to the effing board like staff meeting or when your superior comes in to talk to you about somebody's feelings that you hurt. It's just incredibly frustrating. We in our community are not passive people. There's this whole sort of narrative about Latine people and specifically about Chicane and Mexican and our Mexicano people who are th- – that we're passive, that we are disengaged, we don't value education, that we're rule followers. Even my prima in, in LDF once said, sabes que el Mexicano es muy conformista. And sure, some of us, I think we've had to adapt. I think the fact that we descend from conquerors and conquered um, requires that we adapt and that we and that we change in order to continue to be in a space and I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but to say that we're a people without conviction is racist and awful and um, and just not factual. you teach kids about th- Activists, You teach kids. We all got Cesar Chavez on our walls. And um, shout out to my former student calling me out on Instagram for pointing out that Cesar Chavez was also flawed. He had beliefs that were anti-immigrant. And, and, you know, we can historically contextualize those, those, sure. But we can't ignore them and we can't pretend they weren't a thing. But, But we have all of these things up on our walls in our classrooms. Cesar Chavez, Dolores Huerta. We have the United Farm Workers flag. We have Mexican flags. We have... You know, Mexican leaders by, like Benito Juarez and, and folks like that. I got news for you. Those people were fighters. Those people were advocates. Those people stood up and some of them lost their lives for our people. So it's just really ironic to have this situation where we want a teaching core that better reflects our kids. Our kids are 53% raza, Spanish surnamed, uh, with roots. In the Americas but we're only supposed to show up looking like them we can't show up speaking like them we can't show up advocating like them we can't show up organizing like them we can't show up as the fighters that we are and when I think about these two people who I love and adore, who are imperfect, but who these, these people need to be in front of kids every single day for the rest of their damn lives if they want to be. But we're saying to them, we'll take your name, we'll take what you represent, we'll check the diversity box, but we're not going to let you actually reflect your community. It is offensive. And it enrages me because it's some of our own damn people... Who are keeping them out of positions? Who are positioned to bring them in? And for whatever reason, they they won't. And that's where we internalize white supremacy. We internalize this respectability politics. I'm I'm not, I'm probably not using that right. But there is a politics of you have to show respect and you have to be polite and you have to be diplomatic and all these kinds of things. So we cop to that bs we cape for it we cape for the system we cape for our own advancement we cape to be careerists and not activists and not engaged members of our communities <clears throat> i think of another teacher whose only sin was supporting a highly politicized teacher and being a part of that person's struggle they all they did was be a support and they are now persona non grata in all kinds of education spaces. There's another one. He's just a little bit loud. He is not always the most sensitive person, but he loves his students and he loves to be a teacher. And he will teach for the rest of his life if he, if he gets the opportunity to non-renewed. A principal I know who was brought in. In the wake of a really, really awful building leader at their school, this principal, um, who is a friend of mine, was told, don't worry about it. Yeah, the staff is still kind of mad. Yeah, there's some frustrations. Yeah, there's things. But, you know, don't worry about it. Principals, um, what, what we do in DPS Collaborate, um, I don't know if they do at other places, uh, gets feedback um, that folks are dissatisfied with the direction of the school. This principal's supervisor says, don't worry about it, it probably doesn't really have to do with you, just keep doing what you do, you're going to be okay. And then out of nowhere, non-renewed. And I'm thinking about these patterns of uh, Latina building leaders that I've met who are so excited to represent culture and represent who we are with our kids. They know how important they are to our kids. They enter this world of building leadership and then they're given too many responsibilities and everything is piled on them. And then when they underperform because they're overworked, they're run out. I don't know if there's any leaders that listen to this. Um, Y'all got to do some real reflection about how what we mean when we say we value representation. What we mean when we say we need to diversify teacher pathways. What we mean when we say it is important that kids see people of color as teachers. We got to think about what we mean by that. Because do not use those words if you are asking our gente to commit identity self-harm when they walk into an education space. We are being asked to dismember ourselves. We are being asked to remove some of our limbs Our limbs like our political conviction, our language, the t-shirts we wear, the way we communicate with others, the way we show up in professional spaces, the way we engage in discourse to actually live the values that we say we hold. When you ask us, come and be a representation, come and be a brown face that these kids can look at, come and be a Spanish surname people that the kids can relate to. But don't reflect the things they care about. Don't reflect their hurt over the things that hurt them. Don't reflect their outrage and hopelessness around the injustices that we deal with on the daily. Don't do that. Just be a smiling brown face that speaks a little bit of Spanish. That has Selena up on the wall. That celebrates Cinco de Mayo. I actually really like the idea of Cinco de Mayo. Not for those reasons. but check out my other episode put up papel picado, put up posters of Zapata and Villa and all these people. Just don't endorse those views. Our systems have a lot to learn about representation. And while a system may seem unwieldy and difficult to tear down, um, I'm here to tell you, mi gente, remember that these systems are upheld by people people like me people like you who make decisions on the daily as to what we will be doing in these systems and how we will challenge them both in ways large and small um it's hiring season i need you to think about this if you're a person on a hiring committee If you're a person with the power to hire somebody, and you're feeling pulled because somebody controversial shows up on your list of interviews, I need you to ask yourself, does this person represent the things that my community cares about? Is my career more important than true authentic representation for our youth? Do I really care about these things? Or am I just saying I care about it so that I don't get canceled by my community? Want y'all to like and subscribe. Um, I'm going to have an outrage playlist that's going to be a part of this episode. I thank you for listening. Um, Remember to always be pushing back on these things. We we have to stay in critical self-reflection. If we're not even asking ourselves the hard questions, we'll never make the hard decisions. I love all of you. Thank you for listening. This is Gerardo Munoz of the Chicano Logs. Have a blessed week. Talk to you soon.